horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled, and then they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling place. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and not to conquer them, and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, by the, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. When I saw another beast rising out of the earth, it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound had been healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard the voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they were blameless. Before we pray you'll see that there are three scenes. You have a beast in the sea. You have a beast in the land. And you have a lamb on a mountain. Let us pray. Father, what we just read, Lord, is an image of everything that we have to deal with in this life. For our life is long, but it's not that long. This time we have is only so many months. Lord, we understand that you have called us as a church by your great power. You have called people to yourself. You said that when you were lifted up on the cross, you would draw all people to yourself. And then 
the evil one would be cast out. Lord, we here demonstrate the truth of your prophetic word. For by the power of your spirit, you have called us. You have been calling us. You have called many before. And you will call many to come. A perfectly squared number of 12, starting with the 12 disciples to now, the 12 tribes of Judah to now, 144,000, really a number that cannot be numbered. And we are part of that number, Lord. And we praise you for that and thank you for that. Lord, we know that your care for us is sincere. We know that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. Particularly, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom to see the world in which we live, to understand the nature of this beast, the nature of this dragon, to understand the spiritual war that we fight. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in this evil darkness, against everything that exalts itself, against the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is no middle ground. Either we must worship the lamb or we must worship the dragon. Lord, please give us wisdom. And Lord, we thank you for your care. We ask, Lord, particularly for the concerns we have as a church. We lift them before you. Lord, again, we lift up PJ before you. And we pray for the continued healing on his body after his surgery. For the blessing upon his family and the new baby on the way. Lord, we lift up Sarah Lump, Lord. We have another man named Isaac Newton who comes along and adds to that. And he writes all these fancy little things we call physics, which are just symbols and squiggles and lines. And Einstein, for example, E equals MC squared. At some point, that actually meant something to a physicist. For most of us, we just think that's a fun thing to say. But they're real symbols they're real symbols that actually capture the nature of reality. And so here we're introduced to the book of Revelation. And John says, this is a book of symbols. The very first verse says, this is a book of symbols, say mino. And so here we have symbols before us. See, Copernicus realized that we were not the center and we were rotating around the sun. He realized that that was the fact, that is what was happening. Newton came along with his symbols of universal gravitation and gave markers to say why that was happening. That there was actually gravity going around the sun, pulling us as the earth moves. Here we have a revelation in which we have a symbol, and the symbol is a dragon. You and I have never seen gravity, but boy, it's nice to know this, this, when you look at the equations, this letter G that represents gravity. Well, you know what? I've never seen gravity, but the letter G, the symbol G, when you plug it in with a lot of other symbols, it actually makes rocket ships go and all sorts of other things. It actually works. So, even though it's just ink on paper, the letter G, there was something that Newton did when he symbolized gravity, that it actually pr produced effects to demonstrate that these symbols are matching reality. And what I submit to you this morning from what we read is that the dragon is such. No, I've never seen the dragon. Where is Satan? Where is this evil serpent? All ancient cultures have dragon myths and all these things that are scary and dark in the corners of our human mind. It's almost like a universal spiritual or psychological law. There's this dragon. Remember speaking to my daughter? And it was a few months ago and I was putting her to bed and she asked me just, and this is how it works for us. Don't turn the light out. Why? I've turned the light all the time. No, she wants a nightlight. Why? Because there's monsters in my bed. Who told you that? Like, where did, I, we, I've never relayed that to you. There's monsters under your bed. 
It's why is it the human mind, the psychology develops, and all of a sudden, we know that the world is scary. We know that the dark places unexplained are dangerous. That there's dragons, there's monsters, there's beasts. All these deep laden symbols within our minds. Revelation is coming alongside to say, there is an element of truth here. There is a dragon. And here we have a symbol given to us. A dragon. This dragon was given the ability to make war. This dragon is given the ability to do tremendous harm. He saw the dragon. But as the earth has a gravitational force, and it pulls the moon around and it rotates around the earth, what we see here now, we knew there was a dragon from Revelation 12, but here in Revelation 13 we're seeing the power of the dragon. Copernicus knew the sun was in the center, but Newton had to come alongside and explain the power of the sun. That the sun is pooling a system around itself. And here we have a dragon. Like two moons rotating around a strong gravitational force. A dragon with two beasts closely associated by there is a particular power to this dragon. A particular deceptive spiritual power. And it has been given to it. It has tremendous power. Here we see the problem of deception. The solution is to find a symbol. And once we do that, we start singing. Let's see how that plays out. The problem is the deception. This beast has been given uh, power by the dragon. We saw a beast, he says, rising out of the sea. This is a clear allusion to the Old Testament in Daniel 7, where beasts come out of the sea. In Revelation 12, the waters, the tumultuous waters, represent peoples, we're told. Revelation 17, sorry. We're told that these waters represent peoples, the nations, the chaotic, godless nations of the world. They are like Waters tossed and turned by the wind. They are tumultuous, unwieldy, unruly. And from that water, that tumultuous hurricane-like water, which is just the sinful, natural humanity of all the nations across the world, beasts emerge. And here we have a beast coming out of the water. He has a lion-like appearance, a bear-like appearance, a leopard-like appearance. In Daniel 7, there's four beasts that come out. One is a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And the last one is a very fearful beast. It's not given animal-like titles. It's like almost a combination of all these beasts. And it's scary. And so here we have, in Revelation, the same exact thing. A beast that we're told looks like a leopard, has the feet of a bear, and the mouth of a lion. It's a clear allusion, everything, to what Daniel said about beasts. Is that they form. When nations of men rebel against their God, they become animal-like. Not all world governments are animal-like. But they always could become animal-like. They could become evil. They could become less than human. They could try to do everything to erase the image of God upon them. Because only humanity was given the image of God. But then humanity could become so evil and so corrupt that the scriptures push them to the side to say, You are so far gone. You are so evil. So corrupt that you are animal-like. You are a beast. And so here we have these beasts emerging from the sea. And the power of this beast is demonic. It is the power of the dragon. We're told the dragon gave the beast power, throne, and authority. The beast has diadems, crowns, just like in chapter 12. The dragon has diadems and crowns. The beast has seven heads. The dragon has seven heads. You're seeing that behind the beast is the dragon. The beast is the incarnation of the dragon. The beast is the actual moving and going of the dragon in this world. He's a pawn, a manipulated group, a human mass of evil people that the dragon uses. The dragon has power, power particularly to deceive. And as we know with this dragon, he loves worship. He loves being worshipped. See, you and I in Psalm 8 were made for glory. We were made for glory. 
If you want to be honored and respected and loved and cherished, these are good things. To do that outside of reference to God is idolatry. This Satan, this evil one, loves it when worship is directed away from the one true God to him. And we're told that the whole earth marveled and followed the beast for this one reason. The one head of this beast seemed to be mortally wounded. Yet the mortal wound of the head was healed. When Jesus rose from the dead, he stomped the head of the dragon. He killed it. He slayed it and set it down to the ground of the earth. The problem, though, is that that was only the beginning of the destruction. Again, V-Day to D-Day. You have to do D-Day first in World War II. Storm the beaches of Normandy. Make a final death blow to the enemy. But yet there is more to be fought to finally win the war. And the same thing with Jesus' resurrection. He landed the death blow upon the dragon. He hit his head with the sword, we're told, in 1314. Yet it is not over. This dragon has many heads. And he has a beast who looks wounded and truly is wounded, but appears healed. That is, these demonic evil governments rise up. Generation to generation, they can never be fully done away with. They always regenerate. And the people worship this beast. They say, and here is the phrase of all phrases, who is like this beast? They say they worship the dragon and they give authority. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Then they worship the beast and say, who is like this beast? And everything the beast does is very similar to Jesus. So Satan is a deceiver. He doesn't make new things. He takes the things that God makes and manipulates them and distorts them. He twists them. He didn't make the garden. He came alongside in the garden, next to the tree, and twisted the tree, said half-truths about the tree. Satan comes alongside Jesus Christ. He has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. He is in this world for a period of time, given authority to rule and reign. But he is taking everything that Jesus has done to conquer him and slay him and twisting it, manipulating it to make himself look like the Lamb, to make himself look like the Savior, to look like Yahweh, the one true God, so that he would receive worship from the one true God. Look at everything he does. And they all say, the people who know nothing of the gospel, will look at a beast that looked like he was almost slain, yet lives, and say, who is like him? Who could possibly be like this beast? There's no one like this beast. He is holy and unique and different when actually everything he's doing is just like Jesus, but without the truth. This beast has deceptive authority. We're told all tribes, peoples, and languages, and nations serve him. But that's exactly what we're told about the lamb in Revelation 7. That all tribes, peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. This beast has deceptive power. He has horns, seven horns. But the lamb also has horns. This beast has a throne. But the lamb also has a throne. This beast has crowns. But the lamb also has crowns. Who could possibly be like this beast? The world says, no one is like this beast. Meanwhile, he is everything like Jesus Christ without the reality, without the ability to save, without actually being the one true eternal God. This is the system of the world. These are the world governments that are always trying to be the Savior without being able to save. And the most clear of all is the deception of actually presented of being somewhat of a resurrecting God. Here you have the Lamb, and here you have the beast. We're told in Revelation 5 that the lamb is standing as though he had been slain. That is, he really was slain. Jesus really did die and he stands with his scars and mars. Because he really died. And here we're told that this beast, he has his head, seems to have a mortal wound. But it seems that the mortal wound has been healed. He's again mimicking the lamb. Looking like a savior, but not really being a savior. Looking like having the power of resurrected life, but not having the power of resurrected life. Really, he has been wounded, mortally wounded, and he put makeup on it to come down to the earth. Mind you, he used to be in heaven. 
He used to be in heaven. He's down on earth putting makeup over his mortal wound and everyone is impressed by him. Meanwhile, the one true God came down to heaven, truly did die, came back to life in real resurrected saving power. The only power that saves is Jesus. The only gospel that saves is the gospel of the cross. And then he ascended to heaven with all that power in a true resurrected life and body. One saves. One is a deception, a manipulation, a similarity to Jesus without actually being Jesus in order to take the worship of Jesus away from him and bring that to the beasts, the governments of men. The beast is given permission. He's not allowed to really do anything apart from God's absolute power. This beast offers blasphemous words from his mouth. He's given a mouth and he he speaks haughty and blasphemous things. He blasphemes his name and his dwelling, God's name and his dwelling. He takes on the titles of God to himself. There are blasphemous words written on his seven heads. This beast has authority that is given, is permitted authority. He's only allowed to have authority for 42 months or three and a half years or 1,260 days. All the same time frames of saying this temporal period of tribulation, this life we live in is a time of tribulation. It is small. There were 42 phases in Numbers 33 in which the people went through the wilderness. It was done in 42 sets, 42 phases. It's a symbol of walking through the desert before you get to the promised land. And it is in that time that you and I live. It is that time that Mike said we either are going into this trial. We are in this trial now or we are getting out of another trial to enter into another trial. Our life is cyclical of trials. We must, through much persecution, enter the kingdom of God. That is the way things work. And there's a beast to make that thing hard for us. It will be difficult. But he always scoops us away on eagle's wings, lifting us up so that we'd never be outdone. Always giving us food, manna from heaven, water from the rock. Everything you need in this life he's giving you. But you really are in war. And you really are against someone who has deceptive, tremendous power. The beast's permission is he's allowed to actually accept the worship from men. All worship the beast, that is, except everyone whose name was not written before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the Lamb. The permissions that are given to this beast are only in accord with the permissions of Jesus Christ. So what is the beast? Now it's all clear, right? What is the beast? We've said that we look at this book of Revelation through a history of redemption. There's always been beasts. John is drawing from Daniel. Daniel was many hundred years before him. The four beasts of Daniel were Babylon, was a beast. Medo-Persia was a beast. Alexander the Great took over the whole world. He's considered the leper. The fourth beast in Daniel was Rome, this very powerful kingdom. And here we have John writing on the island of Patmos, being exiled and persecuted by the empire of Rome. And so in the most immediate context, it's clear who the beast is. The oppressive government of Rome. But there always were beasts. There are beasts. And there will be more beasts. This beast has an ability to heal itself. Has the ability to come out and regenerate. So Rome could fall. But then you had this thing called the Holy Roman Empire, which wasn't holy, wasn't Roman, wasn't an empire. It had tremendous power and wealth. Out of that came the papacy. And before we go here, remember, the reformers thought the Pope was the Antichrist. And they had very good historical reasons for thinking that, or the beast. But also not that. We'll get to the second beast and really talk about it. There are many beasts in this world. 
And here is the second beast, this beast of the land. The first beast had false power, state-like power. The second beast is a false prophet. Many debate about what this beast is, but it's generally agreed that it is some type of economic and religious power that deceives the world. Rising out of the earth, John saw another beast. This beast had two horns. It looked like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It's generally agreed that this has to do with economic and religious power. So yes, was the medieval papacy beast-like? No doubt. No doubt. False gospel through and through. Are modern evangelical, seeker-sensitive churches like this beast? Yes. Are most mainline Presbyterian churches like this beast? For sure. This is not Catholic bashing. What we're saying is, all religious institutions that deny the gospel of Jesus Christ become this beast. I here before you, representing the beast looks like a lamb, sounds like a dragon, looks innocent and cuddly, looks like Jesus, merciful, like a lamb. But the voice is deep and dark and sinister. And it sounds like the prosperity gospel. It sounds like sacramentalism. It sounds like all the things that add to Jesus Christ and make you lose Jesus Christ. Speaks like a dragon. Anyone that's offended about critiquing other churches should also equally be offended about the fact that no one critiqued Satan, when he described that forbidden fruit. Everything he said to her sounded good. Would that not look good for food? Would that not make you wise? It will kill you. A partial gospel will kill you. And it will taste very good going down. The seriousness of what we're saying in this second beast is that there is a beast that supports the other beast. Religion and the state. Karl Marx famously said that religion was the opiate of the masses. Nietzsche thought religious people were weak and they needed help. Mind you, their ideologies killed more people than anyone in world history. The land beast supports the water beast. Religion supports the state in deception so that the dragon would be worshipped. And from the human eye, it looks like we're the center of the universe. It looks like we're the, the sun's rotating around us. But in reality, everyone's coming to church. There's crosses and the guy's wearing a tie and it looks all good. But you're worshipping Satan. The beginning of Revelation warns the seven churches, calling them synagogues of Satan. And they call themselves churches. See, there is a real thing happening to understand these symbols. Once these symbols are understood, it's unlocked. You see them everywhere. It's just like... Finding the principle of universal gravity. All of a sudden, it just works everywhere. Gravity works when Newton threw down his bowling balls. Gravity works when we try to get to the moon or shoot a gun or ride a rocket. Once you understand what these symbols mean, John is giving us a key to unlock this deception. That is, throughout the world, Satan is being worshipped in the name of Christ. That is exactly how things happen through this beast. We'll see right now. He spoke like a dragon. He looked like a lamb. Did not Jesus say in Matthew 7, false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly will be ravenous wolves? They will look like sheep. They will talk like wolves. They will speak like Christians, but they will eat like carnivores. They will not be of the Spirit of God. This is the deception that is so prevalent with John and with us. The exercising authority of the first beast makes the worship of the first beast. It's an unholy trinity. It's a conspiracy. There's two beasts and one dragon. There's one father, one son, one spirit. 
Now, the Spirit always does things to exalt Jesus so that he is worshipped. And the Father gives the Son, Jesus, all power and authority so that he would take on all this worship. And here you have a dragon who gives the first beast, the state, all this power and authority and a compromised religion, that is, anything that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, supports this first beast, that is, the state, so that it would be worshipped, that it would be seen as savior. And that is exactly how the conspiracy works. The, the conspiracy of all conspiracies is that this all happens under good intentions. See, Every month here at the church, we have a session meeting where the elders of the church get together and conspire. But we call it a session meeting because the word session means to sit down. We don't call it a conspiring meeting, but that's exactly what we're doing, you see. See, conspiring has a negative connotation, so we don't call it conspiring. But exactly what we are doing is we are talking and planning and conspiring to accomplish things in the world. Now, now, now. World leaders and rulers with the intelligence to first get in that position and all the money and power in the world, would they ever maybe talk about what they want to do in the world? Now, they are beasts, so we don't want to give them too much intelligence. And we don't even want to attribute motive to say they're doing evil things. They might think they're doing good things in the world. But what Revelation 13 is telling us is behind these beasts, they are pawns. See, there is an intelligent, an intelligent deception behind foolishness or foolishness in the beasts. That world leaders and governments that deny Jesus Christ will try to do everything good as they conceive good in their mind, their human mind. But behind the scene, there is a dragon that is manipulating these animals, these world governments, these powers to do evil things. We always have to go to war. We always have to kill each other. We always have to oppress each other. We know we shouldn't do that, but we seem to never be able to not do that. There is a reason behind that. There is a gravitational force, as it were, a deceptive force of the dragon that is doing all this beside the good intentions of those. Remember, it was Jesus who said in John 8, you are of your father the devil. He said that to religious Jewish people who were trying to do what they seemed to be right. It was Peter, the first pope, so to speak, who was condemned as being like Satan when he tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Now, Peter, in his mind, was doing what he thought was best. But the deception of the dragon is that exact thing. If it's real deception, you don't know you're being deceived. Or it's bad deception, but he's very good at it. He takes all of us in our states of position and power and twists us so that we would be used for evil when we think we're trying to do good. They killed Jesus as a heretic. They thought they were doing good. They were doing evil. Jesus healed a man's hand on the Sabbath and we're told that they conspired how they could kill him. Now, John's saying in Revelation 13, yes, they had a session meeting on how they could kill Jesus. But it wasn't just them doing that. There is a deceptive power behind it. There is a dragon using all of these things. This great, this great beast, this second beast on the land, he is like a false prophet, we're told. That is, he actually has a religious function. People come to him for the word of God. Okay? So, I say that as, as a pastor. Right? It is the Catholic Church. It is... It, it is liberal denominations, which are even, as far as Machen is concerned, even more far gone than anything else. Like, not even Catholic at all. If the name has Presbyterian on the outside, you should probably just keep driving. Hopefully the PCA is godly. But see, it's equal opportunity. The, the moment you think you're not under this deception, you are going to be under this deception. The reason I preach expositionally through the verse by verse by verse, is so I'm not giving you my ideas. I did not come here to tell you a story, right? The second I think I'm doing that, I could be fulfilling Revelation 13. I could be that beast that speaks the word of God in the position of the word of God. Look at that beautiful, expensive drywall cross we have here. Wouldn't I be saying something of God now? Isn't this a church? Didn't we sing? No. Unless it is here. It's all deception. It's all smoke and it's all mirrors. 
Once you see these symbols, it unlocks something in your brain in which you are given the ability to discern, to see that Satan is being worshipped. It was not just the first century church that had the ability to be threatened as being called the synagogue of Satan. First Ephesian church on 1st Street in downtown Ephesians. Synagogue of Satan. As far as God's word to them was concerned. I'm not telling you my opinions. And I'm not saying anything and pointing anything at any other church that I wouldn't be warned of myself. Myself. Right? This is why we work through the scriptures to see that this beast comes out of the land. And he calls fire down from heaven. Elijah and 1st Kings 18 called fire down from heaven. Elijah was the prophet. And this beast is doing everything he can to make himself look like a legitimate prophet. Matthew 24, Jesus warns, false messiahs, false prophets will arise. They will give many signs and wonders to mislead. This beast has miracles and signs and wonders on the exact purpose to mislead. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, the law of this one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus Christ will kill him by the breath of his mouth. And the coming of the law of this one is the activity of Satan. Okay, so there's a law of this one coming, the activity of Satan. And also he has the power of false signs and wonders. And we're told in 2 Thessalonians that he sits in the temple of God and exalts himself as one like God. That's religious. That is every human inclination to corrupt the true religion of the gospel. And that's where the lawless one comes, from the temple, from inside the context of what looks like the people of God. This is a whole level of deception that actually produces worship to the dragon. To see these symbols, to begin to discern them, unlocks all the discernment you need to traverse this wilderness wandering that we live in. The seal of the beast is given to them. And if you would not take the seal of this beast, you are slain. He causes all, small and great, rich and poor, slave or free, to be marked on the hand or on the forehead, that no one may buy or sell apart from that mark. And the name of the beast, we're told, is the number of a man. The number is his name. So who is this beast, as we said with the first one? The beast in the water, in the most immediate historical context, is clearly Rome. Now, depending on how some take the dating of the book of Revelation, some have said that this beast, in the immediate context, was the actual uh, Jewish Sanhedrin and the religious establishment of the Jewish order. Because they were the ones that looked like a lamb. They came from the people of God. They spoke like a dragon. That is, they falsely spoke and killed the Messiah and actually gave him up to the first beast to be crucified. Some that take maybe a later date of the book of Romans, I mean the book of Revelation, have said this as a historical fact that in the time of these seven churches in Asia Minor, there was a cult of Domitian, who was the empire at the time, particularly in Ephesus, where he erected a very large colossus statue of himself. And he went around with an altar, door to door, requiring everybody in these cities, the ones, the seven churches that are, this letter is addressed, to offer sacrifice to Domitian. Right? So in an immediate context, it could be that. See, religious worship that supports the first beast, the state, Rome. That's the immediate context. So I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin's involved in all this, but is he? You see, the point of symbols is that they're symbolic. Once you see the symbol, once you know universal gravity, you can't help but start calculating everything. Once you know that this is how it works. And so here we are. This is the same thing for us to be warned of, to know that there is an evil beast to be had. Before we close, we have to put to, put to rest um, the mark of the beast. Uh, so uh, we do have a slide. And there's a website. I encourage you. There's a website. If you want to go know the number of, the value number of your name and make sure you're not the beast, um, you can. And I'm happy because I, I typed in my name and it wasn't 666. So just wanted to clear the air. You can obviously imagine my relief uh, when I did that. 
Um, but if you want to go to that website, type in your name. If you, if you land on 666, we have session meetings every second Monday of the year, I mean of the month, so you can come to the session, we can talk about it. We just want to make sure we get all the beasts, you know, uh, out, out and uh, worked with, because we'll just add your last name and change the value. Um, but let me explain this, if we could get the slide, for how uh, this might be interpreted. The number of the beast. There's two ways people have looked at this. What is the number of this beast? There is uh, the phrase um, uh, 666, right? Now, Hebrew gematria is a, a method of calculating. Just the reason we could make so much advance in the enlightened era with mathematics and science is because we, we adopted the Arabic number system, right? Ancient people, their number systems were ridiculously complicated, and you can imagine how hard. It was much harder than common core math, I'll tell you that. Um, but if you go here, you see alpha is 1, beta is 2, gimel is 3, dalit is 4, hey, vav, zayin, hetet. And then when you get past the 10 mark, it works in increments of 10 and hundreds. That's, that was their numbers. So their alphabet were their numbers, right? So if you were going to write down any numbers in Hebrew or even in Greek, you would be writing down letters, and it would be marked out that you're doing a number thing, and then those numbers would have to be calculated. And you can see how it would be so hard to do math this way, um, working on a system like that. So that's called gematria. That's Hebrew gematria. And so um, when we say the mark of the beast, there's two ways people approach it. They take this method and say, this is what John's doing. He's, he's saying that the mark of the beast is 666. Now go calculate that, um, which could be a whole bunch of words, if you understand how the system works now. Um, you know, you have a, a bet for two, a kof for a hundred, a resh for two hundred, and then you feel like Alistair Jabak should be asking your question. I'll take a resh for two hundred. No, but the, you add them all together, and it's the sum total of every letter. So you just read the letters straight through, number, 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 and then the last total is a very large, if it's a very large word, it's a very large number, and such. Um, some interpret that that's what he's doing here, right? But, but then there's another type of uh, interpretation that makes all the uh, numbers in the book of Revelation symbolic anyway. So this number surely shouldn't be calculated in detail. It actually means to do with uh, the, the, the symbol of the 666. What does 666 mean if you step back and look through all of the history of redemption and the wisdom of God's word? And so the first option would be this. If you hit the next slide, this is how they calculate um, Neron Caesar. And so it's a non resh Vavnon, you see how it works, 50, 250, kuf, mem, and resh, kusser, so neuron kusser, and that's a transliteration of, the, of the, um, the Greek into Hebrew, which also has a little problems, how exactly you translate the Greek into Hebrew, but the way, the way that the Jews would refer to neuron kusser um, would be that, and so you see the number. Who is the Roman Empire at the time and killing Christians and matches into the description of everything to do with the first beast and the second beast? Um, so here's the number. Here it is. You know, and he's in the island, island of Patmos. He's persecuted. Probably a uh, Roman soldier is intercepting his letters. Uh, the Roman soldier most likely is not a Jew and most likely doesn't know Hebrew. And so it would make sense that if he was going to give the name out of the beast without incurring further persecution, he would code it, uh, something in, in this, that would take at least two or three steps for a Latin-speaking person to understand what the, the number really means. Um, that, that's one interpretation. That's one way to look at what the mark of the beast is. So um, that's an immediate historical context, right? But what we're saying is there is a history of redemption in which the mark of the beast comes and goes because it is symbolic, Right? At that time, when John's writing that letter, it could very well have meant Naira Kassar. Right? Are there any? I mean, my gosh. Some people that lived in the 21st century would have loved to be in Rome instead of under Mao or Stalin. Okay? So, if this was the mark of the beast for them at that time, obviously this deceptive dragon spiritual power that is given to these beasts is still very much active, if not even actually demonstrating itself with even more power than what Rome could do. But there's another interpretation which has to do with the very symbol of 666. And I think this could be a very good interpretation to say every other number mostly in the book of Revelation is symbolic. So to, to just calculate this number straight through 
would be, it's like the only number in the book of Revelation that you should take absolutely, literally, scientifically, literally, right? But really, if you look at what 666 is, seven is the number of perfection. God completed everything he ever made. And on the seventh day, he put up his feet and rested. He was complete. Every week, seven. The Shabbat, 49s. You have the year of rest, the year of jubilee, all working on sevens, complete, complete, complete. God made man on the sixth day. The number of man is six. Six is not perfection. Six is not God. It's 666. It's, it's, it's the high-handed rebellion of man to say, I can be trice holy. I can be trice like God, but I'm always 666. It's just like Nero in the same way, or any type of human pride, that it would be 666, days of creation. There are set, there's seals of trumpets, bowls, and um, uh, seals, trumpets, and bowls all throughout Revelation. There's seven of them each. Every six. Uh, seal, every sixth trumpet, every sixth bull has to do with the judgment of humanity who follows things that are not God. The judgment of idolatry. 666. There's three sets of six within Revelation. There's three sixes here, all demonstrating that this is not perfection. This is evil. This is corruption. This is man trying to be God. And what is marked on them is important. It is upon their hands or upon their foreheads that this mark comes. What you do, what you think, this is Hebraic mirrorism. It's full of Hebraic mirrorism. All through the Old Testament, this is the case. The great Shema, this is the anti-Shema. The Shema of Israel is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall bind them as a sign, a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You see? You see? This 666 goes onto the hand or onto the eyes. So it's allegiance to God. They, they were told to bind God's word and everything they do and everything they think. But those who worship the beast are given over to devoting the beast in everything they do and everything they think. And the symbol of 666 is seared upon them. Not in a literal way. It's all symbolic to say, this is allegiance to anything that is not Jesus Christ. You get this mark. You get this mark. And if you don't participate oftentimes in these world systems, you're economically pushed to the side. You're not able to buy or sell. I apologize for going so long. Don't. Thank you. Anyone else want to second that? Um. <laughs> this is definitely something to walk through. We're going to end here and we'll close. This sermon series is to eat food, sing songs, slay that dragon. The dragon is present. The dragon is alive. There are people marked with it. The last of it all, though, is that there is a lamb on the mountain. There was a dragon then there is a beast in the sea. There's a beast on the land who's a false prophet. The beast in the sea is the false power. But there's one who has the high ground in this war. I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood a lamb. With him 144,000. His name. And his father's name. Were written on all of their foreheads. That's the Shema. That's the opposite of the mark of the beast. The name of the Lamb was written on their foreheads. The 144,000 who are holy with white robes, who have not defiled themselves and are blameless. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, the sound of loud thunder, the sound, their voices, the sound of harpists when they play. They sing a new song before the throne, and no one can learn this song except the 144,000. They had been redeemed from the earth. 
after the dragon, after the beast, and all of their working, and trying to get worship from all the world, there are 144,000, and we're told in Revelation that no one can actually number that number. It's not meant to be literal. It's meant to be symbolic. The real number cannot be numbered. And they are singing loud, and the voice is like the sound of many waters. And that is the bringing down of this dragon, even in this age, for there is still more fight to have. Daniel 2, the stone was cut without hands. It was thrown against the statue of all the kingdoms of this world. The statue smattered into dust. And then that stone expanded into a very large mountain. And here, John sees a very large mountain, Mount Zion. And Jesus has the high ground. As far as military tactics, that's the one you want. The dragon has been cast low. Jesus is up high. The dragon is doing his thing. The dragon has his symbol. The dragon has his worshipers. But there is a lamb. And there's 144,000 with him. And they have his name written on their heads. And they sing like the sound of many waters. And it flows over into the whole world. Now I say, is that the voice that was heard from heaven only happening in heaven? I hope that this would tie up this whole sermon series and that none of us would forget this now. Is what they're singing only happening in heaven? He's told us to sing songs. Hebrews 12. He says, you have come to Mount Zion. He's talking to presently living Christians who walk on this earth. You have come to Mount Zion. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where there's innumerable angels, the assembly of the firstborn enthroned in heaven. And from there we sing. See, we sing in the presence of these angels. They are singing. And the redeemed, those who are with the Lord now in heaven, the 144,000, that set number that have been written in the Lamb's book of life from eternity past, they're all there and we with them as we worship down here. There is warfare through that worship. There is a voice that is like the sound of many waters and it crumbles all the dominions of this dragon and his beasts. So, how if we say the whole world's a big conspiracy? Yes, but don't worry, the ones running it are beasts. They don't know about it. Doesn't mean the whole government systems are one big world power. There's a beast running it. So what do we do? We laugh. We eat food. We sing songs. It doesn't rest on you. See, the whole point of fighting this dragon is not being a church that's persnickety and always pointing at other churches and saying, you're wrong and this and that, even though that's exactly what I did in the sermon because they're dead wrong, like dead wrong. But I say it with joy and love. Remember, we were all under his deception. Who are we? Who am I? So we fight we're discerning, but not disgruntled. We fight, but we're not frowning. We fight by eating food, loving one another, and loving our enemies, realizing now that we know the dragon, we are called to love our enemies because they're not ultimately, absolutely, really our enemies. They could be our friends. And we sing songs. We've been given a new song. The Lamb has already won the day. And in that worship, we continue the fight. Let us stand and worship and be a joyful church knowing our enemy is great but our Lord is greater. So please stand. Dear Father, we give you this. We take all this. We put it before your feet. We ask Lord that you would have us be discerning. We ask, Lord, that you would have us be discerning of ourselves, that we would be in your word, that it would be written upon our minds, that it would be written upon our hearts, that it would be written upon our hands, that we would be humble to know that we could be under this deception at any moment. But, Father, your wisdom and your grace and the grace you give to the humble is all that matters, and we are humbly bowing before you, for you are the Lamb. So Lord, please help us. Please help us to be a church full of joy and grace as we continue to fight in your name and for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.